0: Well, good morning, church, family. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. And uh, would you like to grab a Bible if you've got one handy, and we're going to come to God's Word together. And would you like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21? Matthew 21. And uh, as we're turning there, I wondered whether you know what Operation London Bridge is all about. Operation London Bridge. Um, apparently it's the plan which has been in place Um, in various different forms since the 1960s, for what will happen uh, when the sad day comes when Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth finally breathes her last. And uh, it's not a particularly pleasant thought, is it? But let's face it, the Queen is 95 next month. She's not going to live forever. And there will come a moment um, where apparently somebody will say to the British Prime Minister, London Bridge has fallen. London Bridge has fallen, and and at that point, the plan will kick in, and they'll do whatever it is that they need to do. Um, But then, as part of that, of course, sometime later, uh, there will be a new king. There'll be a coronation service, and there will be a massive, massive celebration. You can bet that the streets of London will be completely packed. And I don't know whether you're the sort of person who probably will be there, whether you're the, uh, the kind of person who, who likes to turn up to these sorts of things. I'm not sure whether I am, really. But perhaps, I mean, it will be a really major occasion. So uh, maybe, maybe we'll be there. Um, but uh, either way, you can bet that there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of people waving their flags and cheering on the royal carriage as it makes its way through the streets of London and up to Westminster Abbey for the coronation. And the Queen's coronation was a huge event uh, watched by an absolutely vast number of people, including apparently one family who sailed over from Australia in a tiny little yacht um, uh, to be there. And whoever wasn't able to be there was out celebrating. They had street parties where everybody enjoyed a brand new type of chicken, which had been invented for the occasion. And I don't know whether Prince Charles has got his top chefs trying to come up with a recipe for coronation chicken mark II. but that would be my top priority if I was him. Well, we've got another coronation in our reading today. We've got a similar kind of scene. If you've got Matthew 21 open there, you'll see if you've got the same chapter headings as me that it says at the top of Matthew 21, Jesus comes to Jerusalem... As king. And we're reading this because it's Palm Sunday today, so let me read from verse 1 Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill What was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So you can see it's an amazing scene. It's the arrival of a new king. It's not the actual moment of coronation. Uh, For that, you'll have to come back on Friday. But look at what Matthew says when he's explaining what's going on. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet uh, Zechariah, verse 4. This took place to fulfill scripture. And Zechariah prophesied, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you and the crowd realise that that's what's going on verse 9 the crowds what are they shouting they're shouting hosanna to the son of david david the greatest king that israel has ever had Who's still got his star on the flag of israel today in other words this is the son of david the heir to david's throne who's come to take his rightful place as the king and it's a huge reaction from the people. Look at the, the scene. It's not just any crowd there on, in verse 8. It's a very large crowd. And look at what they're doing, spreading their cloaks on the road. What an extraordinary sort of display of devotion to the arriving royalty. You know, you don't want the, the king to be sort of, you know, having to walk in the mud and the dust and the dirt. You said you take your coat off and everybody, the ancient equivalent of rolling out, The royal red carpet uh, for the arriving new monarch making this great scene, cutting down branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. And there's a crowd going ahead of him, verse 9, and people following, shouting. And so it's a jubilant and triumphant scene. And I don't know whether those exclamation marks you can see in in verse 9 are there in the original, but they're making a lot of noise. And in verse 10 it says, the whole city was stirred by this scene. And that word for stirred is the same as seismic. So, so earth-shaking was Jesus' arrival as king that it shook the very foundations of the earth. Can you imagine being there? Can you picture in your mind's eye being part of that scene? And as we come to this passage this morning, I wonder if you were there, where you would place yourself in the scene? Are you right in there in the thick of it? Or are you just sort of hanging back, observing all the keen beans? Are you there taking off your coat and I'm just picturing a sort of a street full of North Face or sort of puffer jackets. Um, probably, you know, wouldn't be all that easy for the donkey to walk on in the, in those days. But I, I don't know why I'm thinking that. But uh, ancient coats. Are you there, taking off your coat, willing for it to get trampled over, or are you just sort of standing back and just watching? You know, maybe at a bar or a cafe with a drink, observing the scene unfold. Maybe you're watching it later on television, not particularly interested. I wonder where you'd put yourself. Now, I don't know about you. But the biggest question that I've got as I come to this passage is, what happened to this crowd? Because I know what happens next, and if you know the gospel story, you'll know what happens next. You know know that what happens only a week later, if you don't know what happens, let me give you a spoiler, this is happening only a week before Jesus got killed. This is only a week before Easter, and Easter's next weekend in our calendar, and that's because we're following the chronology of Palm Sundays today. It happened less than a week before Good Friday. And so my big question is, how did this same crowd go from welcoming Jesus with such great triumph and jubilation and honor to only less than a week later turning on him? How did they go from chanting Hosanna to the Son of David to chanting crucify him? crucify him why did they change their mind why did they go off jesus and why does anybody go off jesus today it's a big question isn't it and i wonder whether you know somebody for whom that's been the case and they've done a similar thing to this kind of crowd you know perhaps you know somebody who they used to be really noisy about their faith they used to be there right in the thick of it they'd have been there taking off their coat and putting it in in in, on the street but now maybe they've turned their back on jesus Well, maybe that's even you this morning. Maybe you can remember a time in your own Christian life where maybe you were right there getting all enthusiastic and wholehearted for your faith. But perhaps something has made the spiritual temperature just drop a little bit, and perhaps now you're reconsidering. Well, how much honor and devotion do I show to Jesus? Perhaps thinking of sort of dialing it down a little bit. Well, how do we understand that? How can we understand this crowd and this reaction? Well, I wonder whether you've ever been really disappointed by a Christmas present. That was the thought that came to my mind. Think of the worst present you've ever got. Mine, the first one that came to my mind, I was given a Thomas the Tank Engine placemat I was about 15. I think if I'd have been 10 years previously, a Thomas Tank Engine placemat might have gone down really well, but I have to say I was a bit underwhelmed and pretty disappointed by a Thomas Tank Engine placemat. I don't know what your worst one ever is, but just imagine you're 10 years old, okay, it's Christmas morning, you've hardly slept, because you're just buzzing with excitement, you're completely wired, because what can be more exciting than Christmas, and you wake up at some unearthly hour, go tearing around the house, wake everybody up, and of course you want to rush downstairs and get stuck into the presents under the tree. But the first seed of disappointment gets sown when the present you grab, which has got your name on it, it's a bit small. Um, In fact, it's only an envelope. And so you sort of tear into the envelope and out sort of drifts a little white rectangular sheet of paper, it's got a little black picture of a horse in the corner and a few numbers in the middle and granny's signature at the bottom. And there's a card and it explains something about it being a mortgage deposit for when you're older or something like that and suddenly all the excitement has turned to a combination of sort of disappointment and upset and anger well I reckon that something similar was going on here because there was an expectation that this crowd had they were expecting something of Jesus but Jesus turned out to be something very different They welcomed in a certain sort of king and they were expecting a certain sort of kingdom. But the kingdom that Jesus came to establish was very different from their expectation. Look what they cried out. Look what they wanted in verse nine. They were crying out, Hosanna, repeated. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And if you've got the footnote, you can see what Hosanna means down at the bottom of the page. It's a Hebrew expression meaning save. They're shouting Hosanna, save, save, save us, save us. They want saving, they want rescuing, they want salvation. But the thing that Jesus came to save from, the salvation which Jesus came to offer, was a very different kind of salvation from what they thought they wanted most. And so I think a similar thing is going on here. If only that child realized that that black horse in the corner was actually the logo of a bank, and that those numbers across the middle were actually Uh, representative of a huge sum of money, well, they'd have realized that what they'd been given, it didn't meet their expectations. It was way more. It was so much more valuable, so much more precious. And if only we are able to put right our misunderstandings of a reduced kingdom and a reduced salvation and see the bigger, much more amazing kingdom and salvation which Jesus came to offer, then we won't be like that crowd who uh, turned their back on Jesus when he didn't meet their expectations will be like those disciples who gladly crowned Jesus king of their lives. So what was this big misunderstanding? Well, what did they get wrong about the kingdom, about salvation? Well, there's a pretty big clue that Jesus was a pretty different kind of a king in the first chunk of the passage. Did you notice how deliberate Jesus was about choosing a pretty funny mode of transport to make his grand entrance on? You know, this isn't any normal kind of king. This is a donkey riding king. That should be telling us that something is unusual about King Jesus. Verse one, he approaches Jerusalem, he sends two disciples and says, go to the village ahead of you and you'll find a donkey, untie it, bring it to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him I need it. It's incredibly deliberate. Yeah, we don't, I don't know whether this was some prearranged plan that Jesus knew he already had an agreement with the owner of the donkey and he told the disciples to go and collect it or whether he just knew there'd be a donkey there because he's Jesus, who knows? Doesn't really matter. The key thing is, he's so in control. He's chosen incredibly deliberately a particular way of arriving in Jerusalem. He didn't need a donkey's help. Jesus went everywhere on foot. He walked most of the way to Jerusalem on foot. He doesn't need to get the final few hundred yards with a bit of help from a donkey. He's making a point. You know, when King Charles gets crowned, he will make his way through the streets of London in the gold state coach, which I looked up, it's 24 foot long, it's four tons covered in gold, and it's been used for every coronation since George IV. It's an absolutely amazing symbol of power and status and wealth. And uh, you can bet that any uh, self-respecting, ancient uh, would-be monarch would have been no less ostentatious. Think of King David, think of King Solomon. You know, he'd have had a great big gold carriage as well, or at least he'd have ridden a horse. But Jesus turned up on a donkey. You know, this is like, imagine watching the world leaders arrive at Davos for the World Economic Forum. And everybody's there in their private jets and their helicopters and their chauffeur-driven Mercedes. Jesus has hitchhiked, you know, and he's borrowed some kid's BMX to ride the last couple of miles. It's really strange. This is sometimes called the triumphal entry, this passage, the triumphal entry. It's not a triumphal entry, it's a pathetic entry. It's incredibly unusual because he is not a normal kind of king. He is the gentle king. Look at verse 5, quoting um, Zechariah. See, the king comes to you, powerful and riding on a horse. No, gentle and riding on a donkey. And if you read the rest of Zechariah chapter nine, the prophet goes on to say that when the Messiah, God's anointed king comes to establish the kingdom, he will do away with chariots and war horses and he'll break the battle bow and he'll proclaim peace. King Jesus made an unusual entrance because he hadn't come to establish an earthly kingdom at all. He came to establish a heavenly one. He hadn't come to to defeat the obvious most presenting issue. He hadn't come to defeat the obvious enemy. You know, when the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, save us, they want Jesus to save them from. The Romans, they want the, the, the Roman occupying forces. They want to take back their country. where They want independence. They want to take back control. And what better time for the people to expect that Jesus might do that than the Passover. You know, they're all there in Jerusalem to remember the time when God delivered the people of Israel from another oppressive regime, from the Egyptians. And Moses was the one who um, got the people delivered from Egypt. Well, maybe Jesus is the one who's going to deliver us from Rome. Except Jesus wasn't interested in nationalism. He didn't come to defeat an earthly army. He came to defeat sin and death. Something so much bigger, so much more powerful, and so much more amazing. He didn't come to make war with men. He came to make peace with God. They misunderstood. They misunderstood Jesus' mission. They misunderstood the time scale. They're shouting, Hosanna. I mean, it literally, Hosanna means, save us now. Save us now. And they wanted immediate results. Well, there's a sense in which Jesus did do something immediately. There's another sense in which, actually he asked those who belong to his kingdom to wait until the kingdom has come in all its fullness. And so if we've got a misaligned expectation of what Jesus' salvation actually is and what his kingdom is all about, then we'll miss out. Just like that crowd, we'll miss the point. If we think primarily that he's here to solve our earthly problems, if our question is, yeah, I've become a Christian, but how come my business hasn't taken off? How come I'm still struggling with this health issue? How come Jesus hasn't removed this thorn in my flesh, whatever it is, that I've asked him to remove three times? Why hasn't Jesus defeated my earthly enemy? Why haven't my prayers been answered why hasn't my expectation been met well if those are our questions then in a way we might be like that kid at christmas disappointed we wouldn't understand how on earth can a king who rides a donkey and ultimately wore a crown of thorns be of any help to anybody it's not to say that those are bad questions. It's not to say those are bad prayers. It's not to say, of course Jesus cares about our businesses and our finance and our health and our relationships and so on. And one day, all of those things gloriously will be added unto us as well when he returns. Because one day, there really will be a triumphal entry. One day, London Bridge really will have fallen and all the earthly administrations and kingdoms of this world will come to an end. And John got a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 19, where he saw, verse 11, heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so when Jesus comes again, Not this time on a donkey, but on a white horse. Not in humility, but in glorious, triumphant splendor. Not to save this time, but to judge and rule with justice. Well, there'll be another welcome committee. Another crowd lining the streets that nobody can count. from A great multitude from every tribe and nation and people and tongue gathered to welcome this new king in the fullness of his kingdom. But in the meantime, I hate to leave us on a cliffhanger, but to really see this kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating and what kind of salvation it was that he was bringing, we're going to have to come back next weekend. Because to really understand the kingdom, to really see the value of that precious gift which was given to his people, unlike this crowd who didn't realize it and who turned their back on Jesus, we need to look towards next weekend when we'll see part two of this great coronation. So book a ticket, they're available for Good Friday and Easter Day when we'll see the greatest enemy of all defeated, the greatest problem of all solved, the greatest salvation offered, and the far greater kingdom that this great king of kings has inaugurated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for these words and this glimpse into that day when Jesus, you arrived in humility and gentleness and lowliness in the city. And these people had an expectation of what it was you were going to do. You confounded all expectations and did something so much bigger, so much more amazing. It's so confusing from our earthly perspective. We wanted you to come and triumph over our earthly problems. Instead, you came to die. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand this kingdom. Pray that you'd help us to understand Your salvation, which you offer to each one of us. And I pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes, not on our earthly problems, whatever they may be. We commit them to you. And for anybody here this morning who is struggling with the disappointment of um, not yet answered prayer, not yet answered expectations about earthly um, situations being improved, I pray that you'd fix our eyes on the kingdom of heaven coming in all its fullness where one day you will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords with many crowns on your head. And we look for that day with expectation and we want to be in that number. We want to line the streets. We want to take off our cloaks and lay them under your feet and shout Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.